0: Welcome to the Taipei International Church Podcast. My name is Peter Poma and I am the pastor of TIC. Today, we are beginning the church podcast and for this very first episode, uh, we recorded a conversation between Derek and Chantel Chen. Derek and Chantel are tribal missionaries in Papua New Guinea. In part one, we learn about how Derek and Chantel came to faith, how they met and how God began drawing them into missions. I'm sure you'll enjoy it and be inspired. Let's jump in. And so Derek and Chantel, welcome to the church office in episode one of TIC podcast. Thank you. This is uh, an exciting beginning to the podcast for TIC. And so why don't you first just introduce yourselves and if you can tell us you know, where you're from, where you grew up, and uh, how you met.
1: All right, well, my name is Derek, and I was born in the US, uh, but my family is from Taiwan, and they moved back when I was only three months old back to Taipei. And so from three months old to 18, I've been living here. Uh, I'm a local boy, live right here in Tiamu. Um, Went to Tamil Elementary School and then later on from seventh grade on to twelfth grade, my parents sent me to TAS. So, um, worshiping in TAS is very the first time a few months ago. It was a very weird experience for me because I always associate the auditorium. I spent a lot of t- time in the auditorium because I, I studied music and performed there a bit, uh, and it's always a quote-unquote, non-sacred space, so to speak. But just to be able to be there and worship together is, uh, is a very new experience, but also kind of weird the first time. Uh, but anyway, um, so that's kind of my background. I wasn't saved when I was in Taipei. I got saved when I went to the U.S. Uh, uh, my freshman year in college. Uh, that's where Chantel and I met. Uh, we were in the same dorm and went in the same dorm Bible study. Um But yeah, I guess I'll save that part for later. You can go into your background a little bit.
2: Okay, so my parents are from Hong Kong. Oh, sorry, my name is Chantel. Um, My parents are from Hong Kong, and I was born in Montreal, Canada. And that's why I have a French name, but I don't speak French. Um, when, When I was two years old, we moved to California, where my dad worked as an engineer, an electronic engineer in Silicon Valley. When I was seven, we moved to Xinzhu, Taiwan, where I attended first grade and learned some Mandarin. Um, In the middle of fourth grade, we moved back to Hong Kong, and then I had to switch to Cantonese. Um, So my growing up years, a lot of it was moving, packing, saying goodbye to friends, and transitioning into new environments. And I had a kind of an identity crisis, like, where do I belong? My passport is a Canadian passport. I have a US green card. I lived in Taiwan, but I have a Hong Kong permanent um, residence card too. So, where am I from? And then um, I grew up in a Christian family. I distinctly remember trusting Christ at the age of 12, like right after elementary school. That's when I clearly understood the gospel. And since then, God has been teaching me that I'm a citizen of heaven and I don't need necessarily an earthly address or home to really feel belonging because our hearts really do yearn to be with God and with Jesus forever. And so I don't struggle with that identity crisis anymore. That's something god has been teaching me. Um, I left Hong Kong for college at 18 and met Derek at Northwestern University in Chicago um, at that dorm Bible study he talked about. And also in this Bible study, we met a really good friend of ours. He was a missionary kid. His name was Peter. And he's the one who opened our eyes to missions, specifically tribal missions.
1: Yeah, and it was in that Bible study where I got saved because I was churched growing up in Taiwan. My mom goes to a local church here in Taipei, and but I never really understood the gospel. So it was there that he took us basically from creation to Christ, you know, from the start of the Bible to the New Testament. You know, not every little detail, but took all the big pictures and presented them together like this is like one gospel message otherwise i I used to think they're all like you know jigsaw puzzles like laying across the table that they're not really connected to each other um so that's when i realized you know who god is and what sin is and you know why why did jesus die on the cross you hear about that story all the time as a kid but never clicked um really um and then so yeah that's when i first like had a light bulb moment so to speak and ever since then, I think God has put a burden in me to share the gospel clearly, because I felt like you could be in a church for a very long time and not hear the gospel, or assume people know the gospel, but they don't. So I think uh, that's that's kind of where the call of ministry started.
0: So for you, you really grew up in the church, and it just didn't, it didn't make sense, or it seemed kind of jumbled, but there was a point where... In college, you understood the gospel message?
1: Kind of. I grew up in part way through. I think starting in ninth grade, I stopped going to church uh, at that point. Why did
0: you stop going to church?
1: (laughs) There's a couple of factors looking back. I think uh, because my parents put me in American school, so my social circle changed. Uh, My mode of language changed. And also the local church that she attended wasn't in this area. It was actually closer down to downtown where my mom grew up. So I didn't connect with my peers that much. I, I was starting to be left outside the circle. And if you are familiar with this denomination, that, uh, they, they are, tend to be more social. Uh, they're, they're, they're not very evangelical in their, in their theological standing. Uh, so I feel like a lot of people go there more just to hang out with each other. And since you go there for social reasons, my social circles are changing because I was in the TAS bubble. Uh, I felt less of a need to go. I was like, if I really want to go for spiritual reason, I'm not getting it there. So I actually stopped going to church, partly because of that, but partly because there's many reasons. Um, but anyway, so, but I don't know. Um, in college, when I went to college, God used a series of events to kind of change my mind on that. And I just kind of said, hey, I got to re-examine my faith or do I really consider myself a Christian or not? I didn't really want to believe in it, but anyway, I just thought Christianity or the Bible deserves a second chance. So when I went to this uh, university, that's when God orchestrated all these things together where I was in that Bible study and heard a clear presentation of the gospel. So Derek, you know, you
0: you talked about how in high school you, you dropped out of church and saw it as more of a social thing that wasn't so relevant to life in college you just said you decided to give it a second chance what was it in college that helped you to understand what jesus was really about and to make a decision that you wanted to surrender your life to him
1: Uh, i think one of the big thing is uh In understanding what the gospel is, I think it really helped that our our Bible study leader, who also was a missionary kid, so he's very familiar with the way of presenting the gospel from creation to Christ. And so seeing the Bible message from beginning to end as one coherent message, I think is very powerful in itself, uh, as opposed to reading the Bible like a hodgepodge of different things that are all disconnected. So that is one thing, but from the beginning, it is clearly presented like who God is, like He is holy, right? I think this is very foundational, like His holiness, His character, uh, this person of God, who He is, and His relationship uh, to sin, or His holiness, His separateness from sin, and our identity as sinners, and not just enough to say sinners, but helpless sinners. Many people would admit that they're sinners, but they're, but they're not helpless, Uh, they want to help themselves or they want to improve themselves or their good deeds out with their bad deeds and they're okay but we're actually helpless sinners and if we're not helpless then we wouldn't need christ which would be the third key is to have a sufficient substitute uh, jesus is the substitute who who takes away our sin uh and the consequences and the punishment of sin which is eternal separation from god and these are big things And, and that that kind of I wouldn't say it was always missing but sometimes it was either assumed or uh kind of not presented very clearly when it was it's just kind of mixed together so i i never got a full grasp of the weightiness of these things and you know the last thing i would say the gospel is you just have to exercise a personal faith and trust in this um it's it's not enough just to know these things but you have to trust it and depend on it believe in it and that's a that that is a one time in in life decision, but also after that, every day you kind of make those choices to trust God and in, in the gospel message, and depending on Him all the time too. So, I think that's kind of uh, you know we don't want to assume our audience always know are clear what what, what the gospel is, but we, we firmly believe that that is kind of the, the core of the, the message of Bible and worth dying for.
0: And so that really got a hold of, of your heart, and you ended up going into ministry or going going to seminary and working at churches. Was that the path you anticipated growing up, Chantel? And the question for Chantel too, you know, growing up, coming from families that were. Traveling and, and moving across the world and I imagine had great dreams for both of you mm-hmm. Did you expect you would end up in ministry?
2: Okay, I can I can answer that first growing up. I did not ever think I wanted to be in ministry <laughs> I was a really hardworking student I wanted to be number one in class and get the best grades and go to like a really good college and blah 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 and I had this dream since I was a kid because I was fairly good at writing, I wanted to be a writer. And so when I went to college, I majored in journalism. Um, Quickly realized that wasn't for me because I don't like the reporting part of journalism. It stresses me out too much. But I still wanted to be a writer, and my dream since I was a kid was to get a book published and be really famous. Um, But in college, um, God changed my heart. He let me see the need for his word to go out and the Great Commission and the importance of missions. I had never heard much about missions growing up. I don't know why, maybe, I don't know, the church didn't really talk about it growing up. But once I heard about it, it really opened my eyes and it really saw my, God's heart for the world. And I said at one point, you know, I can't not be involved in missions. I have to somehow be involved in missions.
0: You know, for some people they may not know what the term missions
2: mean, how do you define missions? Um, so the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus said, you know, we need to bring this message to the ends of the earth, um, the gospel message, and baptize people and disciple them to know him and to obey him, right? So we need to bring the message of the Bible, to people all around the world. And so missions can be it can be in any context. It can be in where your home is, where you are now. It can be in a foreign country. It can be I don't know. It there's many different forms of missions, but it's taking God's good news to people and helping them to become believers and then helping them grow in Christ. And so our particular type of mission that we're involved in right now is to reach out to tribal people who don't even have the bible in their own language they would never be able to know who god is because there's no bible in their language so someone needs to go and bring it to them in their language
0: wow so derek what about you i mean i imagine your parents had dreams for you that didn't include tribal missions
1: <laughs> yeah i think so um i think uh ministry definitely was not something on my personal radar growing up nor my parents um so it's you know it's definitely a God thing I would say. <clears throat> um, it, it was a transition for them. Uh, it wasn't like you know I went to college and stay and then uh, in trouble. missions. It was a process like fifteen years, and so they have time to struggle and adjust with it. And thankfully, I think my my parents are fairly understanding and supportive of our decision. Uh, it wasn't always easy for them. Uh, in some ways, they're giving up their dreams too uh, for their children.
0: What uh, dream did they
1: have to give up? <laughs> I don't know. I think they are not typical Taiwanese parents where uh, doctors, lawyers, engineers, um, type. Uh, but, you know, still a relatively respectable or cushy job or whatever. Uh, my mom was a music background. I had interest in music, so maybe a musical career that would have been it. Or I think doctor respected, and somewhere, but I don't know. Something like that. But it was never really spelled out for us, so we're thankful for that. I think my parents were, ever since we were little, quite supportive of us, quote unquote, pursuing our own dreams. Yeah, so I think that, that gives us the freedom as a young adult to pursue that.
0: What about your parents, Chantal? Were they excited? Were they apprehensive? Were they wanting you to go in a different direction?
2: When I first told my parents, that I wanted to do missions when I graduated from college, they were, they were not unsupportive, but they were. They said you need to think carefully first. Like you, you don't just go into something just because you're all excited. You need planning, you need training, and all that. So I, so they said, okay, you have a journalism degree. We want you to at least work a few years using your skills and training, and make sure this is what you wanted before you pursue it. So very just wisdom in in the term in terms of. You need to plan it out and know what you're doing before you jump in. Wow. And I think that's why. Like, I worked three years in a secular job in a, in a law firm. I did marketing. And I did learn a lot at that job. And I learned what it means to work and earn money. And, and now I know how our supporters feel when they are working a secular job, working, making money, but taking part of that paycheck out to support missions. So I understand their heart when they're giving to us. You know, it, it's hard. It's hard to... Hold a job and work at it, and do a good job at it, and and sacrifice part of that money for ministry for supporting missions. So after working there three years, that's when I switched into ministry, and I think I think God had it in His mind all along for that to happen because during the during my sorry I'm kind of rambling um, during my time working at the law firm I. Did experience a few times where I was able to share the gospel with different people, including one very Orthodox Jew lawyer, which is a very interesting experience. But God gave me a few experiences there, how to share my faith in a workplace, in a secular workplace, too, so I'm very thankful for that. Um, Now my parents are super supportive of everything we're doing, and I'm just really thankful for that.
0: Was there ever a point where you felt like God was saying one thing and your parents were saying another thing, And you had to balance honoring your parents with following God.
1: I mean, for me, I don't probably less for her, but for me, you know, the decision to first to seminary uh, that was they were a little concerned, voices, some opinions uh and then going to going to serve in the church that was not too bad i mean that's kind of the once they the seminary then serving at a church is kind of the logical next step i mean they're not gonna you know expect me to graduate and not do anything um but once that decision to leave the church and join a mission become a missionaries i think that was a even bigger one and there i think we had to balance that but again i'm thankful that they were never like I, i know friends who have for ministry reasons or decisions that they made, basically they got cut off by their parents. Um, and thankfully our parents are, I don't know, wise enough or mature enough to, to, to not not go down that path. And, and even though they have reservations, I, I feel like it's a testimony where every step of concern that they take they had a few years down the road they can always say, okay, I guess back then I was worrying too much that that God took care of you and and God um, didn't shortchange you. And so that I think that's a, that's its money for them and and hopefully a faith grower for them too. So
0: what, what advice would you give to someone who feels caught and they, they feel the call of God on their life and maybe their parents don't believe that's the call of God on their life. What advice would you give to someone in that situation?
1: Um, I don't know. I think you have to honor your parents, but as an adult, I don't think we're called to obey them in every way, shape, or form. I think you really have to ask for wisdom. I, I, I don't, I, I hesitate to say a you know blanket statement to cover all kind of situations. Uh, there are all obviously various things to consider, and that's why the local church, local body, the pastors and brothers and sisters who know you, who know your context, can speak to you. Uh, in, in a much more specific way. But I do think, um, yeah, what, at the bottom of it, maybe, is what, your motivation. It's always about motivation. I don't, I, I don't believe our motivations are ever 100% pure. You know, as fallen sinners, we always have mixed motives. But sometimes you just gotta ask yourself and look yourself in the mirror, you know, like, why am I doing this? Am I doing this for myself? Or am I doing it for God? Uh, or or is this reason to
2: spite my parents or
1: to spite my parents or or, you know stuff like that that gets really complex and very hard for outsiders to or people even people that know you well to discern you gotta really ask and be transparent and be honest to yourself and and God and, and say that and sometimes you have to come to the point and say hey God you're sovereign I know you can do anything I want to be involved in your work but that doesn't mean you have to use me I want to be used uh if you want to use me, great. Like, let's do it. But us, he's he's the big man. He he's 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 a he's a lord. So if he wants to use you, then great. If he wants you to stay in a context where you really don't want, then you kind of have to follow that too. So it's not always about some sometimes our selfish ambition or, or our, our glorified version of what ministry is. Uh, yeah. So it varies from person to person. So I guess that's that's the best way I can. Yeah, take a stab at that question Definitely
2: take time to pray about it Like my parents said Don't jump into things immediately You really need time to pray um, Hear God's voice And and I think God will make it clear to you Like I think every time I've really prayed for decisions God has made it clear It Sometimes it takes longer Sometimes it's shorter But He's always directed our path And I think He will be faithful to direct
1: yeah, your good. path and don't stop pursuing whatever your decision to honor your parents or whatever. I mean, that decision usually is not made overnight. And while you're in this waiting period, don't stop pursuing God. Don't stop serving the church. Uh, a wise mentor wants to, you know, it's hard to steer a boat that's not moving, right? So like, if you're just sitting there not moving, then the Holy Spirit can steer you. or You're just like waiting here for a clear voice from God. That's not how it usually happens. You just have to be serving the lord wherever you are if you're not serving there then maybe you won't be serving wherever your version of ministry is uh down the line either so i think through that process god will make it clear to to you and i think it's kind of like our own story our story was not so much the debate between honoring our parents it's more about where where to go like we want to go missions uh but we're like lord doesn't seem like you're very clear about Where you want us to go? Go to Japan. We thought about going to Japan. Um, We we thought about um, different contexts. We were too chicken dude to pray about going to tribal missions at first
2: Uh, because
1: we knew a lot about it. We knew like that's just not for us. Um, But then God used different times, periods, and process, and that's why when we when we um, finished seminary, we went to serve. God eventually led us to a church in Canada. And I said, like, okay, this is not exactly what I envisioned, you know, when we went to seminary and all, but it's okay. I mean, you know, straightforward with them was like, hey, God may call us into a mission. So, you know, your pastor to be might have a flight risk, so to speak. <laughs> um, but, you know, and they were very supportive too. They want to manage church and, and, you know, we love to have you uh, no matter how long you're with us. So uh, we're very thankful for that too. Um, and so... Going into that church, we didn't know how long we're going to be there, and we didn't know we we're going to do tribal missions. Uh, but uh, God used different people later on while we were serving there, and yeah, to convict us and to lead us in that direction. What
0: was your position at that church?
1: I was the assistant Mandarin pastor. So we have a senior pastor who oversees the whole church, and the church has three congregations: English, Cantonese, and Mandarin. So each congregation is supposed to have their own lead pastor. And I was the assistant pastor to the Mandarin.
0: And so you're serving in this church, and how many years were you at that church?
1: Three, almost three and a half, yeah.
0: Three and a half. So what was the catalyst for the change from serving in the church with relative routine, financial security, safety, to uh, tribal
1: missions? Um. The catalyst for me, uh, you can sometimes speak later uh, if she wants to add more, was um, I came across this uh, video testimony of a Taiwanese missionary couple named Wayne and Gail Chen. They're actually in zone right now. Uh, they served in Papua New Guinea for over ten years uh, with our mission. Uh, our name of our mission is called Ethnos Three Hundred and Sixty or Ethnos Canada if you're from Canada. Um, so we're like whoa this is different like you don't see many asian looking or was it i mean on YouTube or? It was, yeah, it's on youtube so you were just on youtube uh, somehow i got a yeah i got it So God got, call people through the oh yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're looking at one right, right here um uh yeah so it was a it's good tv you know the taiwanese yeah. station so they interview them they're like they don't never see people go to Papua New Guinea and living in a volcanic island They're in a small island in png and so it was a really well, that was an interview and i think um for me seeing a a peer uh someone who's i can relate to uh, a taiwanese guy and doing this i think was very convicting and encouraging and also convicting and also in in the video he said something really uh really profound that really struck with me and uh, what he said was basically um he said, oh, you know, we hear a lot about Hudson Taylor and Morrison, these missionaries that came to China or Taiwan, and, you know, they, they brought the gospel to our people, right? This is great. And we publish books, and we do DVDs for them, and these are all great ways of honoring them and the ministry of bringing the gospel to, to our Taiwanese people or Chinese people. He said, that's great, but, you know, if we really want to honor them, wouldn't it be better if we just do what they did, right like, like how come he, he said a lot of times people's reaction to their family the other champ family that went to png already is like how come you guys are so special like so different nobody does this and then he said every time people throw that question at me and i'm starting to feel worn out but every time people throw that question at me i, I always feel deep down it's like we shouldn't be that special Right, like we shouldn't be that special. Just a few hundred years ago, all these people came for the sake of the gospel, for for this eternal souls of 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 the people here. Uh, they, they up uprooted their family, brought everyone in here. And back then, you know, there's no airplanes and everything, medical and all that. I mean, the the kids died here, they were buried here, and their, their spouses died here, they were buried here. And and we honor them and their sacrifices with our lips sometimes, if we don't do what they do. So how come? You know, not more, not more Chinese or Chinese churches are sending cross-cultural missions workers to people who really haven't heard. And, and nowadays with technology and medical, I mean, she got, Chantel got cancer, we can come back here and treatment. We have even fewer excuses, so to speak, to not go. Um, so yeah, I think that was, uh, when I heard that, I was like, okay the Lord, you, you, you've been doing this in my heart. I've heard about tribal mission. I've said, I always prayed for missionaries, tribal missionaries, you know, like, oh, God, help them to stay healthy, learn the language, do the ministry well. Oh, if they need money, you know, we'll, we'll support the money, you know, and then just, just don't just don't tell me to do anything. <laughs> so after I heard that, and, you know, I broke down and I said, okay, God, if you want to use me, even me, then fine. <laughs> Um but you don 't have to <laughs> but anyway, so we started really praying about that, and after that, the Lord did open doors uh we even went to visit Indonesia, a remote tribe in Indonesia with our good friend Peter who led us let me to the lord um, but yeah i mean uh that that opened another door where we we saw m- tribal missionaries in person in the flesh in their ministry in their homes and and like oh, okay we can visualize ourselves in that context now whereas before it's always through videos or retired missionaries telling their stories you know Uh so now you have these people in the trenches peers that you can relate to and doing this i think that was really powerful powerful. and Mm -hmm. yeah that was in 2013 so yeah
0: so maybe or did you you want to share about what you felt the catalyst was
2: i think it wasn't like a one his was more like a one-time thing mine was like a slow gradual process so for me like we both heard a lot about tribal missions from our friend peter in college and so it was like whoa these amazing stories of missionaries doing all these great things so awesome but yeah right like i would ever do that you know that's not me i grew up in the city i grew up in a in a, you know, like Hong Kong, seven million people, like crowded, like, I can't do that kind of thing. I've never lived off the group, whatever. And so I had never considered it. And we thought about more urban issues, you know, like, or creative access, like teaching English and trying to lead people to Christ or like, we we did actually take a, a trip to Japan to, with OMF to see if that was something we could do, but it didn't seem the right fit for us. Um, and then God just used these 15 years to change my heart from saying, no way, that I can never do that, to, you know, if God wants to use me, he could, like, he can overcome any lack of skill or, you know, aversion to dirt and books and whatever, like, he can overcome all those things. If I just say, yes, he can, he can help me do it. And so it's a, just a gradual process. And that video was impactful for me too, but it was a... A slow, slow process where my heart turned from no way to, yes, I'm willing. Just tell me how to get there. And so that was how my heart was changed. And when we went into the tribe in Indonesia, when I saw those missionaries with eyes and saw the way they, you know, they worked with people, how their kids were homeschooled, I'm like, you know, I can see myself doing this. Like it, it didn't seem as foreign anymore. It was actually, we were there and we experienced it with them. So God used many different things.
0: So you got to the point where you're ready to say, you said yes, we'll go, and now, you know, you have to raise money, right? Well, we had to go to, to training first. You had to go to training, and then you had to raise support to go, because it's, it's not like there's one organization that's just paying you to yeah. go. How did, what were some of your feelings when they gave you the number of how much you need to raise, and... Um, how did you start? How did you go about gathering supporters?
1: Well, I think when we left, I mean, before we went to seminary, we were in a parachurch, kind of like a mission organization, but it was in stateside. Oh, okay. yeah. um, so we had to raise our own support. So we had a little bit of experience of that. Um, I think, I don't know, I mean, they teach you about how to raise support in, 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 in training, training and all that, but I think it boils down to just people want to support you because they know you, uh, and 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 how do they get to know you is by you you by spending time with people and, and and ministering with them. Of course, we have supporters that we don't really know. Uh, that's that's a little different, but I think majority of people who support us, uh, we we can name them. You know, we know their kids. Uh, we've shared some you know, battle time together in ministry, so to speak. And I think uh, it's that sort of uh, camaraderie where, where, where that is key. And that's why I think it's more, much more important to be plugged into a local church and one that is on the same page. You know, if you go to a local church that, that has no heart for missions, then you're probably not going to go very far in support. But thankfully, the churches that we've always, you know, involve ourselves in because we move to different cities. And every time we go to a different city, we have another church home church so to speak so those churches that we get involved with we, we serve with them and then we we get to know the people there and I think it just kind of grew out of that I'm, I, mean, I mean they will give you tips about you know like communications and phone calls but those are I would say are more culturally determined uh, you have to know what you're, what's culturally appropriate for your audience uh, to stay supported. But the principle behind it is, is we're, we're in this together. And this is a partnership. We don't want just your money so that we can live and not starve. But we want you to be on this journey with us. And 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 I feel this, this way. I feel like sometimes people say missionaries need churches to support them. But I think it's equally important where churches need missionaries to support because uh, back to the earlier question where we say you know what is mission i feel like you know to quote a famous guy you know mission exists because worship doesn't and i think what is mission we're we're the vehicle and the only vehicle that god has chosen to bring about his his plan to the world i, I always feel like for missions one of the very big motivation for me to go to mission is having been in the pastor for three and some years i, I started to realize Ministry is very repetitive and cyclical. (laughs) Christmas is over, finally. Oh, the big Christmas program is over. And then a few months later, you're like, oh, Christmas coming again. (laughs) And then Easter. And then you're like, to what end? Like, is this cycle ever going to end? Like, when is Jesus going to come back? And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go reach the people so that, hurry up, Jesus, you can come back. And, And like this, there will be people who have had the chance to respond to your gospel and, and the you know the lord will return and the kingdom will be set up and finally that our, our ministry i don't know i just felt that that kind of a sometimes we we just kind of retread on the treadmill uh and, and and not going very far in our in our ministry churches and i was i'm speaking as a pastor not here not, not as a missionary so i feel like churches do need Missionaries, you know, that they, they connect with is to say that hey, our ministry, our impact is not just within our four walls or within our own countries. Our, our 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 existence here have impact on people who are far away or people who are very much further down the line, time wise from us, where you know, future generations would be blessed or or you know, it would, to quote a, a a old version, it would hasten the day of the return of the Lord. So to speak, and I think that's a that is a profound uh, um, motivation for us because in Matthew twenty four Jesus said, you know, the, the kingdom will not come until all have heard the gospel has been preached to all Christians. So I feel like that that for me personally is a big big motivation.
2: Um, I was just going to sh- check in when we were, or actually in seminary, um, our professor. I mean, we, we work through different books of the Bible, and 2 Corinthians 9 is a very good chapter to read for anyone trying to raise support or, even, or thinking of supporting missions. Because if you think about it, all our money comes from God, and we are not the owners of the money. We're just stewards of the money. And if we're stewards of the money, are we going to use it in a way that glorifies Him? And Paul is calling for people to be generous, and he says, the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And then skipping a few verses, for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Thank God for this gift, wonderful for words. I, I just took a few verses out of Second Corinthians nine, but um, you can read the whole chapter for yourself. Uh, Paul talks about generosity a lot, and it's not—it's not like oh, I'm. In a way, it is. It is sacrifice, but if you think of Christ's sacrifice, and if you think of all money belonging to God anyway, we're just the stewards, the managers of the money. Are we? giving in a way that's honoring to him? Are we giving to his work? Are we hastening the return of the Lord? And so when I understood that theology and how um, God desires for us to give his work, I wasn't as afraid as for raising the support. Um, it wasn't as scary a thing to me. And kind of like what he said, it, it's about relationship too. Like When we've shared our lives with people, Um, we want to bring them along on our team to reach those unreached and so when we go to Papua New Guinea sometimes when I talk to people I'm like we're not here by ourselves there's like hundreds and hundreds of people behind us who are giving their money and praying for us so that we can be here it's not like we had all these reasons we came here there's like hundreds of people who helped us be here to reach you.
1: And also praying for them.
2: And praying. So praying for you. there's hundreds of people in Canada, in, in the U.S., in Hong Kong, in Taiwan, all around the world who are praying for you and giving resources for you. We're just the representatives. And so this work is a team. It's teamwork. It's not just us. We're not lone workers. So that, um, when we were in training, they really helped us remember It's it's teamwork. It's yeah. not... Or not
1: it's a ministry partnership so to speak, yeah. and, and it's a necessary one and if the people can realize that yeah we do need to send the message out of our, our our comfort zone or our bubble then then that yeah that's that's one of the main main points
0: what would you say to someone who feels the call of missions in their heart like God's been stirring and it's there but the thought of raising support terrifies them. And they're thinking, I could never do that. That is impossible. I don't know rich people. <laughs> I, I have no idea how I would get started.
1: You know a rich God? Um, I think I'm going to speak generally about that. That, that. that fear of stopping them from going to ministry could be fundraising, could be, could be anything. Uh, could be the parents, could be, but uh, in general, even outside of missions, right? Like, it, like even for us to go tribal, is fear of the tribalness, fear, the unknown, knows, fear yeah. of the unknown. I think all these things we have to struggle with and eventually come to a point of reckoning. Uh, a God moment, so to speak, it's like, hey, God, I don't know how to do this, but I'm just gonna submit, I'm just gonna obey, I'm just gonna see what happens. What are you gonna do out of this, right? I think for us, for me personally, there's several of them, you know, when it comes to relationship, a lot of people would have this kind of God, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, do I do this? Do I pursue this person? But, but that person's not a believer or whatever. You just have to, God will say, do I trust you more or do I trust my own idea of happiness more? What is my idol? What is the thing that I cannot let go of? I'm so afraid of letting go. What is my security blanket that I'm holding on so tightly that I'm not letting God take a hold of me? these things we all have to face. And once we face that and come to face it, we we'll okay, fine, God, if you want me to be single for the rest of my life, and if you think that's the, think that the best thing for me and I'll be happy with that, fine, I'll, I'll take it. You know, I'll trust you because you're the I know who you are. You're loving, you're all powerful, you won't shortchange me. If, uh, fine, God, if you want me to live on 50% support and you think that's the best for my family, then I'm gonna trust you and, you know, that you know what is best for my family and, my idea of 100% support for my family is maybe not the best, or, or my missions budget committee said it, whatever. Um, and, and whatever, I mean, whatever. Oh, if you want to, you know, if you want me to be in tribal location, that's best for my family. Then, then fine, we'll go. And, and we just have to trust you. And we don't know the outcomes. And sometimes things don't always go. I mean, not sometimes. A lot of times, things don't go the way we plan. We just go along with the journey and say, hey, look. You're sovereign, you're good, nothing has changed. We're gonna keep trusting you one step at a time.
2: Yep, if God wants you to be there, He will let you be there. He will provide the means. He's not gonna let you. I mean, yes, there will be struggles, there will be challenges, there will be days when you're like, how come, you know, I'm only at, you know, 10% support. Be patient, you know, God can work it out. And nothing is impossible with God, right? So if He calls you to it, He will enable you to do it.
1: Yeah, and, and if. If you don't get it, maybe, again, then you have to decide. So you, you take the decision to pursue and open the outcome to him too, right? If he doesn't raise the support for him for some reason, then maybe you have to consider whether this call is, you have to examine it. You have to come back to God. Hey, say, God, do you want me to go? Or is this something that I want to do for you? Because I think I have so much to give for you. Um, stuff like that. So, it, again, I, I hate to generalize, but you know, there's some basic principles behind it.
0: So it sounds like, you know, what you're saying is you got to offer the fear to the Lord yes. and trust Him that He knows what's best, yeah. and then just take that first step mm-hmm. and and just start moving and yeah. believing that God will open the door. Yeah. And if He doesn't, then reevaluate in prayer and saying, God, am I hearing you correctly? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And sometimes it just takes time. Like, we, we know missionaries who take years to raise their support, but eventually they made it, and... Maybe that time is what God is gonna use to further sanctify you, to further make you patient, to further help you trust him, to challenge your faith. God is gonna use that time for his purpose. And sometimes we gotta be patient too. Yeah,
0: amen. Well, that was part one of our discussion with Derek and Chantel. I hope you'll listen to part two where we will talk about Chantel's cancer and what led them to the decision to go to Papua New Guinea in it, Derek and Chantal talk about their faith and their trust in God even in difficult circumstances. If you live in Taipei or you'll be traveling through our city in the future, we'd love to have you visit with us at a Sunday service. You can check us out at our website, www.taipeichurch.org, And if you would like to learn about Derek and Chantel's Facebook group, their quarterly newsletter, or... To check out Chantal's blog, you can check out the show notes. We'll see you next time on the Taipei International Church podcast.